I'm going to remember Lynn Hinkle for a long time. In my first church, which was in the inner city of Chicago, we were in part of uh, one of the poorest districts and the most violent district in Chicago. Twenty percent of the population lived below the poverty level. Lynn Hinkle had grown up in the white suburbs of Chicago. Her dad was a businessman. But somewhere in life, she took a number of wrong turns and ended up in Logan Square. One of those wrong terms was her marriage. She married a guy who was, um, how shall I put it, he was a drug addict. That was one of the better things I could say about him, I guess. He was not a nice man. And uh, the marriage produced two children. And so he had disappeared by the time I met Lynn. And I remember her because one day she knocked on the door of the church parsonage. We lived two blocks from the church. Thank you for not doing that here in Pasadena. And uh, Lynn knocked on the door. And I opened the door, and there she stood with her two little kids, and I said, Hi, Lynn, what do you need? And she handed me an envelope. And she said, I'd like you to have this. And I said, Well, what is it? And she said, It's my tithe. Now, I'd been going through, preaching verse by verse through 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, and teaching the church on giving. And we'd been talked about tithing as a standard for Christians, at least one goal. And she said, Well, it's my tithe. Now, I knew Lynn lived on public aid, food stamps and public aid. I knew she had no money. And uh, I said, wow, that's great of you, Lynn, but uh, I'd rather not take it. Why don't you just put it in the offering on Sunday? And she said a couple things to me. She said, no, I want you to take it. And I resisted a little more. And she said, no, I want you to take it because I might not have it by Sunday. This was early in the week. And I then said, well, I I know you might not, but uh, I know you don't have much food and money and so forth. And I just, I don't know, you know, I'm not comfortable with this. And she said, Pastor Steve, you've been teaching us on giving, right? Right. You've been teaching us on tithing. I said, yes. And she said, whether I give or not, I'm going to be out of money by the end of the month. I want to give the money. So I took it. I get goosebumps still thinking about Lynn and her effort to be faithfulness to faithfulness in giving. Quite a statement on generosity. Now, for those of you who are guests, we are wrapping up this series on generosity, and uh, Jackie showed you the book. By the way, if you haven't picked up a copy, they're in the back, they're two bucks, and uh, is this thing quitting on me, Dave? No? Okay. Uh, Give me a signal. We've had some trouble with the mic. Um, They're two bucks. If you can't afford that, we'll give it to you, but don't leave without a book. We want everybody to have a generosity book, so pick up one of those. But as we wrap up this series, we've been looking at uh, each week, we we begin with talking about uh, uh, moving towards freedom, we've talked about moving towards trust, we've talked about moving towards an open lifestyle, and today we're talking about moving towards life. And I would like you to find this insert. In the cover of Gordon MacDonald's book on generosity, he quotes 1 Timothy chapter 6. And I want you to look at that verse with me, and it's printed in this outline, or if you would like to look at it in the Scripture, in the Pew Bible, it's on page 210, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. So either case, find your Bible or the notes, and I would like to read to you uh, this Scripture from 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. Now, you remember that uh, the Apostle Paul is now an old man. He's mentoring Timothy. Timothy's coming up in the faith. He's a young man. And he's written all these instructions to him. And among other things, he says this. In fact, i got to start in verse 11. There's so many good quotes in this. Remember the Bible says to be content with what you have. That comes out of 1 Timothy 6. And in verse 11, he says to him, uh, actually verse 12, Fight the good fight of faith. 
take hold of eternal life to which you were called and for which you've made a good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Fight the good fight of faith. Then he goes on in verse 17. This is the text that Gordon MacDonald uses as he begins this this uh, book. As for those who are in this present age rich, command them not to be haughty or to set their hopes on uncertainty of riches, but rather on God who richly provides us everything for our enjoyment. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, generous and willing to share. Thus, storing up for themselves the treasures of a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of life that is really life, or life that is truly life. Now, that last statement, I think, is the hook. These 13 words are the hook Paul uses to say this is important stuff, because who wouldn't want life that's truly life? Who doesn't really want to live? I mean, do you really want to live? Do you want to have the good life? You want to have the best life? That's what Paul's saying. Uh, Take hold of life that's truly life. Well, how do you do that? Well, throughout the book, Paul's talking to Timothy about that. But in verse 17, uh, he particularly talks to one group of people. Now, here's my problem today. I'm afraid you're going to tune me out. Thanks, Jackie, for not tuning me out the other day. But what are the first words in verse 17? Paul says, command. You could also put the word order. But you wouldn't like to be ordered around, so I won't say that. Uh, he says, command those who are rich. Now, let me stop there in this present world. Uh, that wouldn't be us, right? We're just middle class. We're not rich. And so we might want to duck these words. Be careful when you read the Bible and you think, oh, that's not for me. It's for somebody else. So I want to spend a minute, just a minute, and my purpose is... Uh, The big purpose today is that I hope you walk out of here more determined to be a generous person. This series has been great for me because I think I'm a little more generous now than I used to be. And I hope you are too. But here's my problem. I think you're going to tune us out because you say, well, I'm not rich. Now, uh, I don't know if you get on the Internet much, but there's a person, a woman who is in... uh, works for MSN Money, and she writes about money. Her name is M.P. Dunleavy, and she got together several women, and she talked about what does it mean to be rich, and she said several things, but it was very interesting. This isn't scientific. This is just her survey, but she talked about people who earn $30,000 or less, they think, I'd be rich if I made $74,000 or more. Interesting. A little more than double. She interviewed people who made between thirty and fifty thousand, and guess what? They said if I made a hundred thousand dollars a year, I'd be rich. And then her final bullet point here was that in the top half of earners, they were more likely to say an income of two hundred thousand dollars a year or more would qualify for the R word. Now, you don't need to answer me, but what would it mean for you to be rich monetarily? We're talking about money here. Don't spiritualize on me. And and again, don't answer me, but it's an interesting thought, isn't it? What would it mean for me to truly be rich? And based on her discovery, generally, if we can double our income or maybe a little more than that, we think, ha, I've got it made. I'm rich. Interesting. Now, let's move away from that towards the World Bank. The World Bank says, and these figures come from 03 or 05, 
that the average, the median income, rather, for the world in 2005, the median income, in other words, half is below and half are above, was $1,700 per year, not per month. Most of us, if we're working at all, are making that much per month. A lot of folks make that in a week in this country and in Pasadena. So for the world, 1700 bucks a year is the median. Now, I could give you a lot more statistics, but uh, the, the last one I'm going to give you here, the average income for people living in rich countries like the United States, we're the third richest country in the world, according to the World Bank, the average income for folks in rich countries is 35000 a year. So we're comparing 1700 a year with 35000 a year. I only say this stuff to say that I don't think there's an exception. Unless you're here and homeless, we are rich. In fact, turn to your neighbor and just ask him, are you rich? You don't have to answer the question, but uh, are you rich? I hope you realize that monetarily most of us in this room qualify as rich. So that's enough. Now let's move on into the uh, message for today. This is my last effort to... Uh, provoke you, encourage you, to teach the Word of God to you, to help you be more generous, to open up with generosity. And all of us can be more generous. I'm convinced of that. And so I've been looking forward to today. The message only took 49 minutes when I preached it yesterday, and uh, I'll get warmed up by your good responses. Anyhow, um, how many of you have heard of the 3M company? Most of us. They, have, they employ about 75,000 people. What do the 3M stand for? Oh, you're good. Minnesota Mining and Manufacturing, 3Ms. They primarily make adhesives, you know, things like glue and sticky stuff, sealers, and abrasives. I thought that's kind of interesting. Abrasives, you know, like sandpaper and stuff to grind around with. And I was thinking about that, and I said, you know, that's pretty good for us, because as we talk about generosity, we need some abrasives. And probably I'm going to be abrasive on some of you today. Maybe it's been abrasive in the past as we've talked about opening up. We need to sand off the rough spots so we're smooth. Sand off the greed from our hearts. Sand off our stinginess and our scarcityness. Sand some of that stuff off and get some adhesion to mercy and grace and giving and generosity. So, anyhow, I decided to put together a sermon on my own three M's. It's not Minnesota mining and whatever. But these are the three M's that I want to uh, share with you. Before I do that, uh, I, whenever I talk about generosity, I quote Carl Menninger, because I think this is a fairly significant statement by the founder of the Menninger Clinic. He was a psychiatrist. I have no idea if he was a person of faith or not, but he said this. Generosity is one of the essential components of mental health. We have found that generous people are rarely mentally ill. Interesting. Now, I'd like to talk to you this morning for the rest of the time we have about the three M's of generosity. And the first one is to have a generous mind. To have a generous mind. Do you have a generous mind? Uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, Paul says this, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth. Command, order them. But rather, or which is so uncertain. Anybody say amen to that? Somebody told me just yesterday that they'd lost a million dollars in General Motors stock. They were a little upset. I would be too. Um, command those 
who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Now, notice the negatives. Paul starts with two negative words here. He says, watch out for false pride, haughtiness, or arrogance. The more money you have, the more likely it is that pride's going to go up in your life. Look what I've earned. Look what I've done. It's just a reality. It doesn't have to be that way, but it's likely. Secondly, the second negative is false security. Oh, I'm secure because I've got all this money. And so we tend to look for our uh, self-esteem in our money. We tend to look for our security in our money. Paul says, don't do that. Command folks not to do that. Then he talks about two positives. He says that uh, you should put your hope in God. Where is your security? Is it in God or somewhere else? Put your hope in God. And then he says this, and it's really, he's not anti-materialism here, and he doesn't want you to drift into asceticism. Paul says material goods, whether you're talking about money or your stuff, that's not where your security should be in material things. But, he says, don't drift into asceticism and say, oh, I don't have anything. I'm like a monk or a nun. You know, I just don't have anything. I've denied everything. I don't have a penny to my name. Aren't I holy? No. Because, he said, God has richly blessed you for what? Your what? Your misery? For your enjoyment. That word enjoyment is there. So, it's not materialism or asceticism, but it's faith in God. Now, I have some questions to ask you. Do you have a generous mind? That is, do I think generous thoughts? The Bible says in Proverbs 11:25 this. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others, himself or herself, will be refreshed. As you refresh people, you'll be refreshed. You might want to put that in bold, underline that, highlight that. Think about it today. Maybe you could refresh somebody today. And then the second question, what do I seek? Now, we've talked about greed, and we've talked about hoarding, we've talked about the closed fist, Jackie mentioned that, and we've talked about opening it up and letting it go and saying, I'm going to trust God, I'm not trusting my stuff, and opening up. What do I seek? Jesus said this, seek first God's kingdom and God's righteousness, and all these things, the hours of your life, Food and clothes will be given to you. Those are Jesus' words. So my question is, do you have a generous mind? I just finished reading a book called Redeemed. Glad I read it, right? Uh, I came across this woman's name in the L.A. Times. She was writing a book review. And uh, it commented about her book. And I said, I better buy that. So I bought her book. Her name is Heather King. And she was a drunk first, and then she was an attorney. Don't make any uh, connections there. I'm just telling you how it was in her life. She was a drunk, then she was an attorney, but she wanted to be a writer. And so she stopped practicing law and started writing, and now she has this book redeemed, and a lot of good things have happened to her. She's also become a believer. She worships in a Catholic church here in L.A. Heather King writes in a great chapter on being holy, and I want to share a little story with you. And it's kind of quirky, it's kind of strange, but it spoke to me. Maybe it'll speak to you. She shares about how she has always been a person of scarcity. She's hordes. When she made all this money as a lawyer, she just put it in the bank, and she said, I'd eat moldy food, and, you know, I I just didn't spend anything. She was a person of scarcity and hanging on, and she said, I only thought there's so much, and I better hang on to it because it might run out, and, you know, and so forth. And one of her examples of that was she, as a writer, she had an old Hewlett-Packard printer, and she said the thing was a clunker. It was an antique, and it got so where it would only print 10 pages and then jam. So she'd unjam it and print 10 more. 
And then it got to only printing five pages, and it would jam. And she said, you know, I'd unjam it, and it would print five more. And then it got down to three pages, and just, she goes on and on about this. And she said, one Sunday, uh, I'm cleaning out and taking this printer apart so it'll print three more pages, and it occurs to me, this thing is broken. It's not going to get any better. This is the way it is. And so she said, I got the phone book out or Internet or something. She looked up who could repair this thing, and she called, found the person who could repair it. They came out. They fixed it for $100, and it started working like new. And she said it was like a, a light coming on in my head. As crazy as it sounds, she said it was really a defining moment in my life when I was able to say, it's broken. I need to fix it. I have the money to fix it. Why don't you fix it? And she fixed it. And she went on and she talks at length about other things she finally did. She got rid of her 13-year-old Mazda and bought a little Toyota convertible. She went back east to see her folks again. And she said, literally, as I came back from that trip that I didn't think I could afford, but I went anyhow, as I came back, there was a message there from NPR radio saying, will you write commentaries for All Things Considered, which she has started doing. And her life has just unfolded like this. Now, in your outline, I put down a long quote from her book, And I want to share it with you. She says this, It's been slow going, but I'm learning that I really do create my own universe. The idea isn't to get rich, obviously, although there's nothing wrong with that. The idea is to discover that if I act as if I'm worthy, that's the abundance mentality, if I act as if I'm worthy, worthy things will come to me. Opportunities to meet people, to give of myself, to be of service, something of what Christ meant when he said this, A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap, for the measure you give will be measured back to you, or you will get back. Jesus' words. You can look up the reference in Luke. She goes on to say, The idea is to learn the discipline of self-examination so that I am not hiding a bad motive under a good one, greed under frugality, cruelty under honesty, lust under love. The idea is to realize that I can't be any more generous to other people than I am with myself. And that last sentence is why I put this in there. And I hope you'll underline it and read it again. You can't be any more generous with people than you are with yourself. And that's why I'm asking you, do you have a generous mind? Because it begins up here as you think thoughts, as you think about scarcity and abundance, and as you think about other people. Do you have a generous mind? Generosity begins with your mind. Now, the second M, what do you think that might be about? I'll wait. Your mouth, thank you. You saved the day. The second M I want to talk about is, do you have a generous mouth? Are you generous with your mouth? Let's look at the couple scriptures. Um, In James chapter 3, For the same mouth, from the same mouth, come blessing and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this ought not to be. Some folks are very generous with their mouths, aren't they? Profanity. Now, I live in a a little bubble here. I've never heard Ted cuss. I've never heard Pastor Eddie cuss. I've never heard Tommy cuss. Uh, Their mouths, folks' mouths are pretty good around this campus. I haven't even heard you cuss. But yesterday, I was out with my son on a bike ride, and we got back, and we were all absolutely exhausted, and the language. Now, you're in that all the time. I think they're called F-bombs. You know what I'm talking about. There's S-bombs. I mean, I could go on and on. You live in that world. 
And people's language today is amazing. Now, the question is, I'm going to move off the profanity thing. The Bible simply says profanity and blessing shouldn't come out of your mouth. You deal with that out of the same mouth. But let's, let's move on to another one. Ephesians chapter 4.29. Do not let any unwholesome talk. Oh, that's a little different. Come out of your mouths. Well, what should come out of my mouth? I might not have anything to say. But only that which is helpful for the building up of others according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. That's a great question for Steve, maybe for you. Steve, do you have a generous mouth? As you speak, are others encouraged? Are others lifted up? Are they built up? Now, obviously in this room that's going to happen, but what about when we go about our business this week, are people going to be encouraged by our mouths? What do you think? The uh, great poet Angela, uh, Maya Angelou, tells the story of her beginning, and she I just read an interview by her. She said, I'd really rather be known, first of all, as a teacher, and second, as a writer. But she said, you know, I got my start because I was a little girl, afraid in school, didn't think I could do anything, and the teacher asked us to write something, and I wrote something, and she said, that's wonderful. And Maya was so praised by this teacher that she said, maybe I can write. And she really credits her beginning as a writer to a small girl in school and a teacher who blessed her and was generous with words coming out of her mouth to bless her. Our mouths have enormous power. And we need to have generous mouths. What's in our mind comes out our mouth. And so I want to encourage generosity of the mouth. And let's watch a great story about generosity before we move on. Why don't you uh, watch this with me? Nice to meet you. Well, that'll touch your heart, won't it? Great story about a couple's generosity to another couple. So three M's of generosity. Are you generous in your mind? Does generosity flow through your mouth? And are you generous with what? Your money. Absolutely. Are you generous with your money? A couple of scriptures, and then we're going to wrap up by doing something. Paul says in 1 Timothy 6.18, Command them to do good, to be rich in good needs, and to be generous and willing to share. Generous and willing to share. I want to thank you for the generosity of the groceries. I think we're in a generous place this morning. And we handed out bags. There were no emails sent out, no promotion. We just said, hey, you might want to do this. You can help somebody. And literally this week on Friday, and this was a random email. It wasn't to me, but uh, Pat O'Reilly from ECPAC sent out an email saying that last April, or last month, rather, in April, they had a year ago four to 500 families come by Friends Indeed for help. This year, it was between eight and 900 families come by. The need is way up. And this is going to be a huge help. So thank you, thank you for your generosity. If you forgot about it, that's okay. You can bring them next week or something. They'll still be able to, to use the food. So I just want to say a huge thank you for your generosity in this. A couple of scriptures. The Bible says... Uh, Everyone can excel in the grace of giving. That's my point. Whether you're a Lynn Hinkle or whether you're a wealthy person by the world standards, even in this country, everyone can excel in giving. The Bible says, since you excel in everything, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. And then another scripture, excellence in planning leads to excellence in giving. The Bible says, each one of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly nor under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I wrote myself this sentence this week. A generous life begins in the mind, it comes out the mouth, and it's proven by money. 
I don't think it's possible to find a generous person who's not also generous with their money. And I want to conclude today by doing a couple of things. Uh, on your communication card, we have, uh, Eddie's talked to you about the service projects that come up on June 6th and 7th. I hope that one of those dates works for you and that you'll just fill that out. If you're able to work in some way, the information's in your bulletin, I hope you'll just fill that out. Sign me up, I can do this or that, and we'd love to have you sign up. That's one way to be generous with your time, to take a morning on a Saturday or a morning on a Sunday and to serve others without anything in return other than the joy of serving. And then secondly, there's another sheet in your handout, and I'd like you to take this out. Each year we talk about the amount of money that we're going to give to our church. And First Baptist Church is supported by the attenders and regular members and regular attenders here. And uh, this giving agreement is this. It's also, you've seen it in the back of the generosity book. It says this. Uh, it's your written declaration of your covenant to live a generous life. And I've filled mine out Earlier this week, it says, I, Steve Hasper, on this 17th day of May, 2009, pledge. And I've checked, yes, that I acknowledge God is the ultimate owner of everything I have. And then I checked the percent there. It says, what percent are you giving? Now, Joyce and I have been doing this for years, so we have a percent. Our minimum goal is to tithe. If God prospers us, uh, we'll do more than a tithe to our church. And so we filled in that percent. Now, this is something we've been doing, so this is easy for me. It may be a challenge for you. I'm going to give you some time to pray about it. And then in another box, we I've put down the amount we give per month, and then we're, this is whether it's an increase or decrease or change in giving or not change. And then uh, talks about a written plan. The last thing I want to say, and then I want to give you just a moment, and Alan, if you'll come and play for a few moments, I want to give you a moment to just pray about what God's asking you to do in support of your local church. And you can fill that out, and if you're ready today, I'd like for you to place it in the offering plate as your act of worship. The, the last thing is this box on the um, outline that I've given you. These are just some resources that have helped me grow in generosity of spirit, in generosity with finances. Joyce and I are, have become Google addicts this year using their monthly planner sheet to track all our expenses and our budgeting. Somebody else in the Good Sense class told me about Mint.com that she uses, and that's been very helpful to her. So let's have a moment of prayer and just silence. I'm going to pray this generosity prayer, and then I'll give you some time to respond to God's word and uh, prepare your giving agreement.